Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and you've reached the Book of Mormon Lecture Series. I've been teaching seminary and institute for the last 11 years, and uh, this is an attempt to do a deep dive into the Book of Mormon itself. I'm hoping that you'll find this uplifting and edifying. This is not an official recording of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but every attempt has been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. So if you're ready for a deep dive into the Book of Mormon, here we go. Hi, and welcome back to the Book of Mormon podcast. This is going to be a discussion of Alma chapter 46, and now we're introduced to a new character named Amalekiah. Well, maybe you've heard of him before, but anyway, he's back. He conspires to be king. Uh, what, one thing I want you to think about is some symbolism here, that uh, Amalekiah is very similar to Lucifer, he who was cast out of father's presence for rebellion. Think about how he's trying to usurp authority, how he's trying to convince people to lower their standards. Um, and so think of Amalekiah as Lucifer as we talk, as we read through some of these uh, verses here. It's very interesting. Uh, verse 1, and it came to pass that as many as would not hearken to the words of Helaman and his brethren were gathered together against their brethren. And now behold, they were exceedingly wroth, insomuch that they were determined to slay them. Now the leader of those who were wroth against their brethren was a large and a strong man, and his name was Amalekiah. And Amalekiah was desirous to be a king, and those people who were wroth were also desirous that he should be their king, and they were the greater part of them, the lower judges of the land, and they were seeking for power. Isn't that what Lucifer was trying to do, to usurp the power of God? And they had been led by the flatteries of Amalekiah, didn't Satan try to flatter away all of us, away from God, that if they would support him and establish him to be their king, that he would make them rulers over the people. Thus they were led away by Amalekiah to dissensions, notwithstanding the preaching of Helaman and his brethren, yea, notwithstanding their exceedingly great care over the church, for they were high priests over the church. Sounds like they were bishops over wards. And there were many in the church who believed in the flattering words of Amalekiah, therefore they dissented even from the church, and thus were the affairs of the people of Nephi exceedingly precarious and dangerous, notwithstanding their great victory which they had had over the Lamanites, and their great rejoicings which they had had because of their deliverance by the hand of the Lord. Thus we see how quick the children of men do forget the Lord their God, yea, how quick to do iniquity and to be led away by the evil one. Again, Amalekiah being similar to, to Lucifer. Yea, and we also see the great wickedness one very wicked man can cause to take place among the children of men. Isn't it true that uh, Lucifer has caused such great havoc upon the earth? Just one man can do such damage. Yea, we see that Amalekiah, because he was a man of cunning device and a man of many flattering words, that he led away the hearts of many people to do wickedly, Yea, and to seek to destroy the church of God, and to destroy the foundation of liberty which God had granted unto them, or which blessing God had sent upon the face of the land for the righteous' sake. And now it came to pass that when Moroni, who was the chief commander of the armies of the Nephites, had heard of these dissensions, he was angry with Amalekiah. And it came to pass that he rent his coat, and he took a piece thereof, and wrote upon it, In memory of our God, our religion, and freedom, and our peace, our wives, and our children, and he fastened it to the end of a pole. And he fastened on his headplate, and his breastplate, and his shields, and girded on his armor about his loins, and he took the pole, which he had on the end thereof, his rent coat, and he called it the title of liberty. And he bowed himself to the earth, and he prayed mightily unto his God for the blessings of liberty to rest upon his brethren, so long as there should a land should a band of Christians remain to possess the land. 
President Benson said, of course, the war in heaven over free agency is now being waged here on earth. And there are those today who are who are saying, look, don't get involved in the fight for freedom. Just live the gospel. That counsel is dangerous, self-contradictory, unsound. Now, part of the reason we may not have sufficient priesthood bearers to save the Constitution, let alone to shake the powers of hell, is because unlike Moroni, I fear our souls do not joy in keeping our country free, and we are not firm in the faith of Christ, nor have we sworn with an oath to defend our rights and the liberty of our country. Moroni raised the title of liberty and wrote upon it these words, in memory of our God, our religion, our freedom, our peace, our wives, our children. Why didn't he write upon it, just live your religion so there's no need to concern yourselves about your freedom, your peace, your wives, or your children? The reason he didn't do this was because all these things were a part of his religion, as they are of our religion today. Should we counsel people, just live your religion? There's no need to involve, be involved in the fight for freedom. No, we should not, because our stand for freedom is the most basic part of our religion. This stand helped get us to this earth, and our reaction to freedom in this life will have eternal consequences. Man has many duties, but he has no excuse that can compensate for his loss of liberty. Verse 14, For thus were all the true believers of Christ who belong to the church of God called by those who do not belong to the church. And those who did not, who, and those who did belong to the church were faithful. Yea, all those who were true believers in Christ took upon them gladly the name of Christ or Christians, as they were called, because of their belief in Christ who should come. <clears throat> Elder McConkie said, "Christians is an obvious name for the followers of Christ, for those who believe He is the Son of God, <clears throat> and that salvation of all of all degrees comes because of Him and His atoning sacrifice. Since there have been followers of Christ in successive gospel dispensations from Adam to the present, these all would have been known as Christians or some equivalent synonymous term." By saying the saints were called Christians first in Antioch means that for the first time in, in the Meridian Dispensation, there was a sufficient church membership so that non-members recognized the saints as a separate and distinct organization, one severed and apart from the Jewish synagogue and community. As far as the rejectors and detractors of Christ were concerned, the term Christian was probably first used in derision. Such was clearly the case among the Nephites. The Book of Mormon account, re recording events in about the year 73 B.C., well over a century before the Antioch congregation came into being, says, Christians, for thus were all the true believers of Christ. A somewhat anal analogous situation exists in this dispensation with reference to the term Mormons. It must be understood that this is not the name of the church, but in the sense that it is used as a synonym for that name, it is not offensive to those to whom it has been applied. Are Mormons Christians? The answer depends on what is meant by Christians. If Christians are people with the defined view that salvation comes only through the complete gospel of Christ, Mormons are truly Christians in the precise and full meaning of the term. <clears throat> if Christians are people, and this is the standard definition of the clergy of the day, who believe in the Holy Trinity as defined and set forth in the Nicene Athanasian and Apostles' Creed, meaning that God is a three-in-one nothingness, a spirit essence, filling immensity, an incorporeal and uncreated being incapable of definition or mortal comprehension, then Mormons, by a clergy-chosen definition, are ruled out of the fold of Christ. But if by Christians is meant the saints of God in Antioch and elsewhere who believe and, are li and live as they did, 
If by Christians is meant those who accept Christ as the literal Son of God, who believe that miracles and signs follow true believers, who believe in kingdoms of glory, revelation, the gathering of Israel, the Melchizedek and Aaronic priesthoods, who believe there must be apostles and prophets in the church, and who believe in all respects as do holy men of old, then Mormons are Christians, and they have the only pure and perfect Christianity now on earth. Indeed, Mormonism is pure, unadulterated Christianity, restored anew in all its grandeur and glory. So in all of those phrases where I mentioned Mormonism or Mormons, you must uh, replace those with members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I was just quoting Elder McConkie before uh, President Nelson's comments. Verse 16, And therefore at this time Moroni prayed that the cause of the Christians and the freedom of the land might be favored. Harry Fosdick uh, once wrote, Some Christians carry their religion on their backs. It is a packet of beliefs and practices which they must bear. At times it grows heavy, and they would they would willingly lay it down, but that would mean a break with old traditions, so they shoulder it again. But real Christians do not carry their religion. Their religion carries them. It is not weight, it is wings. It lifts them up. It, seems, it sees them over hard places. It makes the universe seem friendly, life purposeful, hope real, sacrifice worthwhile. It sets them free from fear, futility, discouragement, and sin, the great enslavers of men's souls. You can know a real Christian when you see him by his buoyancy. I hope that it is clearly evident when the world looks at us that we that we are known for our buoyancy, that we live, believe, and practice real Christian ideas and doctrine. That was by L. Tom Perry. Elder Worthland said, Two characteristics identify Christians. One, they profess belief in the Savior, and two, they act in harmony with the Savior's teachings. Faithful members of the Church, called saints or Latter-day Saints, qualify clearly in both characteristics. In our belief and action, we demonstrate that Jesus Christ himself is the chief cornerstone of our faith. By definition, a Christian not only professes belief in the Savior, but a Christian lives and acts according to the teachings and commandments of Jesus Christ. He taught, Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father. Jesus also said, If he love me, keep my commandments. He commanded us to pattern our lives after his. True disciples of the Lord must be doers of the word and not hearers only. As we take his name upon us, we must... We most certainly are Christians, for we bear the name of Christ. Each week as we partake of the emblems of bread and water, we do it in remembrance of him. We renew our covenant that we are willing to take upon us the name of the Son of God and always remember him and keep his commandments which he has given us. And if we're ever um, accused of being, of being Christians, I hope there's enough evidence to convict us. Verse 17, And it came to pass that when he had poured out his soul to God, he named all the land which was south of the land desolation, yea, and in fine, all the land, both on the north and on the south, a chosen land, and the land of liberty. And he said, Surely God shall not suffer that we, <clears throat> who are despised because we take upon us the name of Christ, shall be trodden down and destroyed until we, begin, until we bring it upon our, us by our own transgressions. <clears throat> and when Moroni had said these words, he went forth among the people, waving the rent part of his garment in the air, that all might see the writing which he had written upon the rent part, and crying with a loud voice, saying, Behold, whosoever will maintain this title upon the land, let them come forth in the strength of the Lord, and enter into a covenant that they will remain, or that they will maintain their rights and their religion, that the Lord God may bless them. 
And it came to pass that when Moroni had proclaimed these words, behold, the people came running together with their armor girded about their loins, rending their garments in token, or as a covenant that they would not forsake the Lord their God. Or in other words, if they should transgress the commandments of God or fall into transgression and be ashamed to take upon them the name of Christ, the Lord should rend them even as they had rent their garments. Now this was the covenant which they made, and they cast their garments at the feet of Moroni, saying, We covenant with our God that we will that we shall be destroyed, even as our brethren in the land northward, if we shall fall into transgression. Yea, he may cast us at the feet of our enemies, even as we have cast our garments at thy feet to be trodden underfoot, <clears throat> if we shall fall into transgression. For the Nephites' righteousness was at the heart of good government. A government was only as good as its people and its leaders. They were convinced that they could enjoy the blessings and protection of the Almighty only in a state of faithfulness and fidelity to their covenants. Thus the people cast their garments at the feet of Moroni. Similarly, in the exchange of letters between Moroni and the chief judge, Pehoran, even though Moroni was unaware of Pehoran's plight, we see the nobility of soul and fearlessness of Moroni in his attitude toward up upholding the Nephite government and destroying all influences which would seek to rob men and women of their inalienable rights. And that was by Millet McConkie. Verse 23, Moroni said unto them, Behold, we are a remnant of the seed of Jacob. Yea, we are a remnant of the seed of Joseph, whose coat was rent by his brethren into many pieces. Yea, and now behold, let us remember to keep the commandments of God, or our garments shall be rent by our brethren, and we be cast into prison, or be sold, or be slain. Joseph's coat of many colors has become legendary. Um, there's no short of traditions about the coat. Uh, Brother Nibley talks about the coat of many colors uh, being uh, as a garment, uh, as a priesthood garment. Let's go down to verse 24. Yea, let us preserve our liberty as a remnant of Joseph. Yea, let us remember the words of Jacob before his death. For behold, he saw that a part of the remnant of the coat of Joseph was preserved and had not decayed. And he said, Even as this remnant of garment of my son hath been preserved, so shall a remnant of the seed of my son be preserved by the hand of God and be taken unto himself, while the remainder of the seed of Joseph shall perish, even as the remnant of his garment. Now behold, this giveth my soul sorrow. Nevertheless, my soul hath joy in my son because of the part of his seed which shall be taken unto God. Now behold, this was the language of Jacob. And now who knoweth but what the remnant of the seed of Joseph, which shall perish as his garment, are those who have dissented from us. Yea, and even it shall be ourselves if we do not stand fast in the faith of Christ. And now it came to pass that when Moroni had said these words, he went forth and also sent forth in all parts of the land where there were dissensions, and gathered together all the people who were desirous to maintain their liberty, to stand against Amalickiah and those who had dissented, who were called Amalickiahites. And it came to pass that when Amalickiah saw that the people of Moroni were more numerous than the Amalickiahites, remember that Satan only was able to get one-third part of the host of heaven, so there was more of us than those with, that followed him. And he also saw that his people were doubtful concerning the justice of the cause in which they had undertaken. Therefore, fearing that he should not gain the point, he took those of his people who would and departed into the land of Nephi. Now Moroni thought it was not expedient that the Lamanites should have any more strength. Therefore, he, he thought to cut off the people of Amalickiah or to take them and bring them back and put Amalickiah to death. Yea, for he knew that he would stir up the Lamanites to anger against them and cause them to come to battle against them. And this he knew that Amalickiah would do that he might obtain his purposes. Isn't Satan always trying to stir people up? 
Therefore Moroni thought it was expedient that he should take his armies, who had gathered themselves together and armed themselves, and entered into a covenant to keep the peace. And it came to pass that he took his army and marched out with his tents into the wilderness to cut off the course of Amalekiah in the wilderness. And it came to pass that he did according to his desires and marched forth into the wilderness and headed the armies of Amalekiah. And it came to pass that Amalekiah fled with a small number of his men, and the remainder were delivered up into the hands of Moroni and were taken back into the land of Zarahemla. You can tell the, the courage that Amalekiah has. Looks like he's kind of a coward, huh? Kind of like Satan. Now Moroni, being a man who was appointed by the chief captains or the chief judges and the peop and the voice of the people, therefore he had power according to his will with the armies of the Nephites to establish and to exercise authority over them. And it came to pass that whomsoever of the Amalekiahites that would not enter into a covenant to support the cause of freedom, that they might remain that they might maintain a free government, he caused to be put to death. And there were but few who denied the covenant of freedom. And it came to pass also that he caused the title of liberty to be hoisted upon every tower which was in all the land which was possessed by the Nephites. And thus Moroni planted the standard of liberty among the Nephites, and they began to have peace again in the land, and thus they did maintain peace in the land until nearly the eighth, until the end of the 19th, 19th year of the reign of the judges. So that was around 72 B.C. And Helaman and the high priests did also maintain order in the church, yea, even for the space of four years did they have much peace and rejoicing in the church. What's become of Malachi, I wonder? And it came to pass that there were many who died firmly, believing that their souls were redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Thus they went out of this world rejoicing. And there were some who died with fevers, which at some seasons of the year were very frequent in the land, but not so much so with fevers because of the excellent qualities of the many plants and roots. In other words, they had herbs, it sounds like, which God had prepared to remove the, the cause of diseases to which men were subject to or by the nature of the climate. Hugh Nibley said they were, they were able to control fevers because of the very good remedies they had from these tropical plants. Quinine wasn't discovered until 1840. Nobody knew that the quinine bark would cure these fevers until then. They didn't know what could cure them. They didn't know about mosquitoes or anything else. Again, here we have a wonderful insight. There are these occasional flashes of background in the Book of Mormon, which for the most part concentrate intently on the issues of salvation. But here it just happens to note in passing that it was fever country and there were diseases to which men were subject by the nature of the climate, which was tropical and humid. The fevers were held under control by the most excellent quality of the plants. Elder McConkie said, there are two opposite and almost equally unsound views held by many people as to the value and place of physicians in society. Most people rely entirely on doctors and medical science where health is concerned and make no attempt to seek the healing power of the Lord. Some others reject hospitalization and medicinal aid, supposing that it is only by divine aid that health will or can be restored. Actually, of course, the Lord intends that men should exercise faith in him so as to be healed, but he also intends that men should use the agency and intelligence he has given them in both preventing and curing sickness. It is proper that the sick should be nourished with all tenderness, with herbs and mild food. The Book of Mormon speaks of the excellent qualities of the many plants and roots which God had prepared to remove the cause of diseases. And in our day, we know that medical uh, medical help that we have is has been inspired by God and that the helps that we have uh, from doctors and physicians and so on is heaven sent. And so we need to, to look to them as well, um, along with the healing power of the Lord. Verse 40, 41, 
But there were many who died with old age, and those who died in the faith of Christ are happy in him, as we must needs suppose. Elder Maxwell said, clearly there are different individual exit routes from life. Some people go suddenly and quickly, leaving survivors in a state of shock and with almost no time to prepare. Others die only after prolonged suffering. It is best that we leave the Lord the variations in both the timing and the exit routes. He and he alone can make those decisions, and he does so out of his individualized perfect love and mercy. In any case, uncertainty as to longevity leaves a balance to be struck by us all. We are to salute the, the, we are to salute the Lord for the gift of life, for as long as it lasts, and yet at the same time to be spiritually submissive as it ends. This is a delicate balance we do not always fully and gracefully achieve. Several scriptures have proved to be relevant and reassuring in this regard. When these have been shared aloud with many who, are, who also suffer from cancer, they have been far better than anything I could say, especially to those valiants who reach that point where they are sick of being sick. I bear testimony to the truth of these things, that this is translated material, and, and uh, we'll get into a little bit more about Amalekai in the next chapter um, and his uh, symbolism of Satan, and you'll see the, the parallels there. I bear testimony of the truth of these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. See you next time. Bye.